1 Samuel 19, we talk about faith. And you hear that subject of faith about really letting go of that balancing beam and actually doing something amazing and trying something, even if you fall and even if you make mistakes. And you think, okay, pastor's talking about faith. He's going to talk about uh, healing. Have enough faith and God will heal you. Uh, no. Uh, pastor's going to talk about surrendering to be a missionary, right? Have enough faith to go to a foreign land. Do something crazy for Jesus and try something that you've never done before. No. Pastor's going to talk about sharing your faith because that's scary. Telling somebody else how you accepted Christ and why he's so important. Pastor's going to talk about that. That's going to be faith. That's what he's going to talk about. No. And then some of you are probably thinking, oh, no, faith. He's going to talk about money. I knew this was the week we should have went up north. I knew we... No, that's not what I'm talking about. Today I want to talk about the very basic beginning of faith for most of you and the thing that is keeping you from really having love and hope and joy in your life. This subject of faith about trusting flawed people. Today's a very difficult message. And today I'm going to really try to walk carefully because I'm going to talk about some things in your life, things in your past that are very, very emotional for you. And I just want to tell you before we even start today, it is not my intent to hurt your feelings. It is not my intent to pull open a wound that has been starting to heal. It is my intent to help heal that wound. It is my intent today to talk about faith and how this beginning point of faith can change your whole life. Today, if you're taking notes, our opportunity thought is this. Faith is obedience and confidence. Faith is obedience and confidence in somewhere. There you go. In Hebrews 11:8, it talks about Abraham. Abraham was an old man when this took place, and that God came to him and told him, hey, and by faith, Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldeans and went to be with God and follow God. By faith, later on, God... It, God will tell Abraham, you're going to have a son even though you're 90 years old and your wife isn't far behind. By faith, you're going to have a son and Abraham follows. And it is the word there in Hebrews 11:8 that I want to focus on the most. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place he should after receive of inheritance, obeyed. A very simple little illustration you can do in your Bible. Every time you see the word faith, replace it in your mind with the word obey. And you will notice that the sentence and the verse makes complete sense. Every time you see the word obey, replace it with the word faith. And you will also notice that the word makes complete sense. Because in the end, this is what faith is. Faith is just simply obeying God and having enough confidence that God is right. God says to do this. God says to take this leap. God says to act this way and not get revenge. God says to behave yourself this way morally, young people. God says to do this. All right, everybody else is sleeping around in college, right? Everybody else is doing drugs. That's what college is for, right? Everybody's, but you know what? God has a completely different take on this. All right, so by faith, obedience, I'm going to behave myself morally and personally and ethically the way God wants. Everybody else in the boardroom is saying, listen, I know it's, it's, we're fudging the numbers. You know, sign this and let's just do this. Everybody else is saying, we could make a lot of money. By faith, you obey and you do the right thing that God wants you to do. Amen? 
That's all faith is. Simple obedience and confidence that God is right. Here's David's opportunity in 1 Samuel 19.15. We're building verse upon verse upon what we've already studied. In verse 15, and Saul sent messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed that I may slay him. He, he went and said, I want to kill David. And David's wife, Michael, said, oh, he's sick in bed. And she puts a little false pagan idol in that bed. And Saul says, well, he's too sick to get out of bed. Well, then bring me the bed. Verse 16. And when the messengers came in, behold, there was an image, an idol that Michael had put there in the bed. And a pillow of goats and a hair of his bolster. This is the man who in verse 6, verse 6 of the same chapter just said, David, I will never hurt you. I'll never do anything. And then a few verses later has thrown a javelin at David trying to kill him. And now he is here saying, bring me him even if he's sick in bed because I'm going to kill him. If ever there was a time for David to act in faith, this was it. But here's the thing about faith, and this is a great life lesson. Young people, you can apply this to anything, okay? Here's a great lesson about faith and everything in life, and it's this. you got to walk before you can run. Boy, that's really deep theological, isn't it? Listen, you, you want to apply that in, in sports, right? you, you got to learn the basics before you can be really good. You want to apply that in your job or whatever you do for a living? you got to learn the basics. You're a salesman. you got to learn the basics to sell before you can be great at it. You can apply this to anything. You want to be a mechanic? you got to learn the basics of a car before somebody's foolish enough to let you rebuild their engine, right? You can apply that principle to almost everything. Love, young people, that's what you're doing right now when, when you date in high school. And, you know, you shouldn't be dating in junior high anyways. You're too young. But when you date in high school and you date in, in college and stuff, you're learning the basics, right? That's why you shouldn't, like, the first person I met at 15, I'm going to marry her. You probably shouldn't, you know, because you're going to have to walk before you can run. That same principle applies to faith. Before you're going to do something big for God, before you can really put a huge faith in God, you're going to have to do it in little things. So when it comes over here and like the doctor, you go into the doctor's office and the doctor says, um, it's cancer, right? It's this, this is really bad. I got to have faith in God that God's going to protect me. It's too late now to start having faith. You understand what I'm saying? It happens before when you do some of the, the, the easiest, the, less, the lowest level of faith is to tithe and to give. I'm just being honest with you, especially as an American. We have so much. And we have, you know you're in a wealthy country when our biggest problem is obesity, right? Because we have so much food, we eat too much, right? And uh, yes, thank you for that amen. Anyways. <laughs> But really, it starts with something like this, giving in a small part. Then it starts with, you know what, forgiving your father-in-law, forgiving your dad, forgiving people who have wronged you and not seeking revenge on them. And then it goes a little bit further about sharing your faith and having the faith that God will do this and, and then doing the right ethically thing. And see, you're, you're walking so that when it comes to this big, huge moment, when the doctor says this, when you know, your wife says, I don't love you anymore and I want to be around you. I, and your kids, your, your son comes home and says, hey, I think I'm a girl, right? And these big, huge moments and you're like, what do I do? I need to have faith in God. You can't automatically start running. You understand what I'm saying? You got to build up to it. 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 You don't buy fire insurance when your house is on fire, right? You buy it before. And Amen? I didn't know I had a room full of arsonists here and stuff, but anyway. 
you do it before. Listen, in every principle in your life, right, you got to walk before you can run. And it's the same with faith. You want to do something great? You want to have faith in God when there's a big crisis? You want to do something great with your faith? Then you're starting to build up to it right now. Today, David's going to have an opportunity to act in faith. And I'm going to give you three things using God's word about how David acts in faith. Um, This first one, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm going to tell you this before I even get to this first one. Don't even put it up there. Um, I have changed my message at least five times this week. I have crossed things out. I've deleted it. Miss Mary, I always email my notes, and she puts them in your newsletter and stuff like that. I've had to re-email re- her and say, I changed it again. Here, don't know. I changed it. I changed it. So finally she's like, is this it? Is this what you want? I've changed it so much because I thought at first, okay, that's too harsh. No, you're, that's not enough. That isn't. Thank you. Always welcome here, by the way. Um, what I'm about to say for many of you is going to be a little painful. Again, and I hope you're going to understand my pastor's heart of trying to help you on this part, okay? All right. First way David acts in faith is number one. You have to start trusting flawed people. David is going to trust the most flawed person he knows, his wife Michael. Look at verse 17. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, and he escaped? And here's Michael's answer. This was all Michael's idea, right? And Saul said, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? So Michael says, This was all David's idea. In fact, Saul, listen to me. In fact, it wasn't even just David's idea. He said he would kill me if I didn't do this. Is there anyone more flawed than Michael? I mean, this whole idea of putting the idol in the bed and saying he's sick and and everything and stuff, this was totally hers. And now she's turned it around and stabbed David in the back and said, no, this was David's idea. In fact, David said, if I didn't do this, he would kill me. But here's a point for you. Listen, at some point, you're going to have to start trusting flawed people. No, go back, go back, go back. At some point, you're going to have to start trusting flawed people. Do you want to know how many flawed people you know? All of them. Every single person you know is flawed. Some of them are more flawed than others. Some of them are lying and hiding it better than others, right? Then you get married and go, I didn't know. That's why you should date for a long time and find out about that person, okay? I don't know why marriage is on my mind right now, but it is. So anyways, um, all of them. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory. Every person you know is flawed. And it is this lack of faith. Listen, by the way, I'm not telling you to go back to somebody who did unspeakable, horrible, illegal things to you, all right? I'm not telling you to go back to that person who did things that they should be in prison for or are in prison. They did hor- That's not what I'm telling you. You understand that, okay? But it is this lack of faith in people is causing a problem in your life. See, throw it up now. Faith is the start of hope and love. Hebrews 13, 13. Now about faith, hope, and love. And and, and the reason, back up, back up, back up. You're getting itchy trigger finger up there, Harry. Um, The reason you don't have hope, all right, is because you don't have faith in anybody. And the reason you don't have love Because love is a big deal. It requires totally making yourself vulnerable to somebody. You don't have love because you don't have faith in anybody. 
And there are two people who find the hardest to do this. This is my college psychology, but in reality, this is just me paying attention to life and the world. Here it goes. Men and women who had an absentee or abusive or dangerous father have a very hard time with this. You had a dad that loved alcohol more than you. You had a dad that wasn't even there and didn't show up. You had a dad that was physically, verbally, emotionally abusive. If you're here and you're a lady, there's a great news for you. There's a way that you can correct that, that, that missing thing. And by the way, every child needs a father in its life. Amen? If you say, well, I'm a single mom, and what should I do? Then you know what you do? You get grandpa. You get, you know, deacons in the church. You get other men. You get people that are involved. You get a good uncle that can be involved and be a male role model in their life. Everybody needs it. That's why Satan is attacking the home. That's why Satan, everything Satan does is about attacking the home and pulling that strong father out of it. And we are raising a generation that doesn't know what strong, real masculinity is. In fact, we attack strong, real masculinity. And some people think masculinity is a bully and everything. That is not what true masculinity is and stuff. And that's why we're raising a generation that doesn't have strong fathers in it. 90% of all men in prison, you know what they all have in common? None of them knew their dad. One of the biggest tactics defense attorneys do is when they're having a client who's sentencing, you know what they do? They find their father, and most of the time their father's also in prison, and they bring him to the sentencing and say, Your Honor, this is the first time he's meeting his dad right here in this situation. 90-plus percent of all men in prison don't have a father. Well, I don't think it's really important to have a father. It is tremendously important to have a father. And here's the thing what happens, ladies. Your father is this way, and he's abusive and everything, and what do you do? I want to help you. I want you to become self-aware. You marry a guy just like him. Dad was an abusive alcoholic. You married an abusive alcoholic. See, ladies, there's a way you can break that, that trend. Here, here it is. Marry a godly man. We had this discussion in our 11 o'clock small group, and it was amazing. One of the ladies there just dropped like this huge truth bomb, and just, poof, it was amazing. And she said, uh, she talked about her, her life was a little difficult with her father, and she said, and then she turned to her husband and said, he has filled in all the emotional needs and the gaps that I needed. And I was like, that was awesome. Sir, let me, let me yell at you for a moment. You're here, and you're a father. You're here, and you're a dad, and you're a husband shape up. You are required to take care of the emotional and spiritual needs of your wife. Amen? Amen. You say, well, her I don't care what her dad was at this moment. You are her spiritual leader. You fill in all those issues. You're tender with her. You're kind with her. And you lift her up and you tell her all these. Sir, you have a little girl in your life that calls you dad. Every day you tell her you're beautiful. Every day you say, I love you. Every day you hug her and you start building her up so that when she's 18, 19, she doesn't go looking for some loser to do that. Amen? Say, how do you know they're losers? They're all losers. <laughs> Just degrees of difficulty there and stuff. But seriously, ma'am. Your ex-husband, right? 
pastor, all that, what happened was horrible. He cheated on me. He was abusive. He beat me. He did all this. Okay, you know what you need to do? <sighs> By faith, you're going to have to trust somebody else. You're going to have to trust somebody. Because faith is the starting point of hope and love. You're here and you're a guy. You're here and you're a guy, right? And uh, you had that father that I'm describing who was just, it was all bad. It just didn't go well. Um, what do I do, Pastor? How am I supposed to? All right. By faith, you start to submit yourself to the godly leadership that God has put in your life. I've had this problem with so many men, and it's, this is the verse I always quote to them. Men who will not listen to the elders of the church, they won't listen to the deacons, they won't listen to me. And I quote this verse to them, it's in Hebrews chapter 13. Paul is talking specifically about the church and he writes this, he doesn't say it once, he actually says it three times in the chapter. He basically says, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourself for they watch over your souls as they must give an account. You know who the they is? The they is a pastor, our elders, deacons, teachers. And I've said this to many men, who rules over you? Nobody rules over me. Yeah. And that's why you have no faith and no hope and you struggle with love. I want to say this, very kind, all right? You were in 930, weren't you? Okay. I said this in 932, didn't I? Right? Okay. Very kindly in 930. If you can't get along with me, you can't get along with any other preacher. I'll just be honest with you. You may not like my preaching. You may not think I'm dynamic. I, I know you think I'm good looking because that's not why in church. But man, you've been to, there's always a reason to leave a church. Doctrine, everything. By the way, how important is a pastor and a deacon to be a husband of one wife now? That he has the moral character. But there's always a reason to, to, to leave a different church and stuff. Uh, and you're on your third church? Your fourth one? Well, that pastor and that pastor and that pastor and that pastor and that church and that church. If everybody you meet is a jerk, it's probably you that's being the jerk, right? I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, keep moving. I'm looking for the perfect pastor. You haven't found him yet. At some point, sir, who rules over you? Who's your pastor? Who's your elder? Who's your deacon? Who's your Sunday school teacher? Who's your tiger? No, forget that. No, no. Seriously, who are these people? And by the way, young people, do you know what the number one job I did as a student pastor? I was a father figure to my kids. And I'll tell you some, two things about these two men here, uh, Pastor Ken and Jim. They are great role models for your kids. Every young lady in here would be lucky to marry a man with the character of Pastor Ken. Every young lady in here, choose better looks, but every young lady in here would be <laughs> lucky to get a man who treats his wife the way Jim Merrill treats his wife. One of the best role models and best reasons you need to be involved in student ministry is that parents, 
your kids need that male role model and need that father figure to help them. Amen? Listen, this is what's keeping you. I don't have love and I don't, these people did me wrong. Okay, they were wrong. Your, your story is the worst of everybody here. You're completely right. You win the prize. But what did you win? At some point, have enough faith in God that, that you will start to trust flawed people and have a pastor and an elder and trust the guy that God brings into your life. Amen? Uh, Bobby Lee, everything you did right, you can add one thing to the list. Your little girl has complete faith and trust in you. When we were in Africa, and we were like at the airport, like, well, what happens this? And she goes, Katie Wright goes, I don't know, but I'd tell you right now, if something happens, Bobby Lee will get on a plane and get me. <laughs> and she said it just like that, get me. <laughs> Dad, you walk out of here today, leaving, thinking, my little girl has complete faith and trust and confidence in me. You don't, she's going to go looking for it in the wrong place. Amen? Man, I hope that helped. I hope that wasn't pulling back that bad wound and throwing stuff. That's not my intent. But sometimes in order to heal, you got to start to become a little self-aware. Have faith to trust flawed people. Number two, you have to lean on people stronger than you. Um, David is running for his life, and he runs to someone he can trust. Who does he run to? Well, he runs to Samuel, verse 18. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Um, everyone needs somebody that during a difficult time you can run to. If you're here and you're married, it needs to be your spouse. If that is not your spouse, you've got serious troubles and issues, and you need to start to work on those issues. David runs to someone he knows from this past he could trust, and it's Samuel. If you're serious about acting in faith, listen, if you say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to start to trust people. I'm going to really start to expand my faith because this is kind of the foundation. I'm going to trust that what you're saying is right. I'm going to trust that it's from God's word. I'm going to trust you, Pastor Steve. Okay, so i got to find these people. If you're serious about it, God will provide stronger people for you to lean on. The people he provides are these, though. He provides people of strength, uh, people that you could trust their advice. He provides people of standards. Listen, if, how do I know if they're, it's a person God has sent me or they're just a good person in my life? This is how you know. If what they're telling you goes word for word with what God says in his word, that's a person God has provided, right? But if they're here and you go to them and you're like, well, I'm having trouble in my marriage. My husband's gotten fat and bald. He used to be cute. Now he's not. And I'm thinking about leaving him just because I'm tired. And they go, you, that's right. You need to get your hero and get rid of that zero. Okay. <laughs> That is not a person God is providing. Do you understand? Because what their advice, young people, if you have a friend and they're like, yeah, what, you know what, everybody should try heroin once. No, that is not a person God is providing. That's just a person in your life, okay? Everybody who gives you advice is not somebody they're providing. And secondly, people of serenity. Uh, the world says that they have, you know, to be serenity and have peace, you got to have money, fame, and beauty, but yet, so many of their lives end horribly, don't they? You say, Pastor, <clears throat> where can I find people like this? 
Where can I find people of strength, standards, and serenity? That sounds great. That's why I need to. If there was only if there was a place that met. Maybe weekly, right? That, that, that would be good. Oh, you know what? I'm kind of really screwed up. I can eat a little extra dose. Okay, a place that met twice on one day. Well, you know what? I could use a little more. Maybe there's a place that has little social gatherings and little smaller groups so that you can connect with people. Maybe there's a place that has like old people, senior citizens events, right? Uh, ladies, chick events and men's events and stuff and students events. If there was only a place like that, hello, that's the church. This is, this is my basic definition of the church, okay? Imperfect people helping flawed people connect to a perfect savior. That's the whole point of the church. God provides these people of peace, standards, and serenity so that we can lean on. And here's the problem. This is why your life is in chaos, because you're trusting your friend who her advice is bad. I mean, she can't even get her own life together. She should not be giving you advice, okay? She's on, you know, she's on like her sixth husband, and she's like, get rid of him, right? You don't need him. Don't listen to her. She, her life is a disaster. The reason that you can lean on people in the church who are following is the reason is, come in, Jeremiro. Come here, Ken is because they are not trusting in their own ability. Now stand there for a second. All right, two good men, two different sizes, right? Okay? I feel very confident that one-on-one, -on -one, I can push Jim, right? No, no, stay over there. Don't, you know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can push Jim, okay? I got a little extra weight on him. I got a couple inches, and I'm better looking, okay? So I feel really confident I can push Jim. So <laughs> I go to Jim, and I lean all my troubles and cares on him. He's falling down. You see, the reason I can trust people that are serving God and trusting is not because they are trusting their own strength. Let's pretend Ken is Jesus because they're already gone to Jesus and they're leaning on Jesus. So now when I go to Jim and I fall on him, oh, this feels nice. <laughs> I see why you like to do this. You know? So now when I go and lean on him, who am I leaning on really? Am I leaning on Jim? Eh, a little bit. He's the person I'm leaning on, but who am I really leaning on? I'm really leaning on Jesus. See, young people, your best friend's not a believer. Your person you're getting advice. Ladies, the lady from work you're getting advice from, she's not a believer. You're just completely trusting in her. You find you're somebody who knows Jesus, who's serving God, who's following God's word. You're not leaning on that person anymore. Now you're leaning on Jesus. And now I can have a little more faith. And by the way, Dad, this is what your kids are doing. Ooh, this is what your wife is doing. You're supposed to be a spiritual leader at home. They're leaning on you. They're trusting in you. And if you're not walking close to Jesus, you're going to fall. Amen? Thank you, gentlemen. See, I don't mind pushing Jim around. I don't want to push Ken around. A little bit too tall, anyways. Number three, you're going to act in faith. You have to have a place to refresh you. Uh, where does Samuel take David? You can skip over this verse real quickly if you don't know your Bible. Look at verse 18, the second part, though. And Samuel went and dwelt at Naoth. Uh, Naoth literally means, in the original language, the Hebrew, it means dwelling. Uh, it was a place there that it wasn't just a place of dwelling of anybody, but it was a place where the young prophets hung out. You need to think of Naoth as like a seminary, as a Bible college. Uh, we'll see next week. This is an amazing place. Some crazy things happen. Don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. Some crazy things happen next week at this place and stuff. 
But this is basically, Samuel's basically like the head professor. He's the leader of this young group of young preacher boys and preacher men. It's like a seminary. It's like a training group for young preachers. And Samuel takes them there because he knows this place will refresh him. Listen, Naoth is this. It's a place of learning. It's a place of fellowship. And it's a place of past experiences. This is a parallel. This is a parallel between the church and you. The church is designed to be a place of learning. You should learn stuff. It's designed to be a place of fellowship. By the way, fellowship's not a Greek word for potluck, okay? Fellowship is where you connect with people and you share your burdens and they help you and they encourage you and everything else. And it's a place of past experiences. You know what's great about Oakland Woods? Because I can almost find somebody who's gone through the same thing you've gone through. I talk about a dad and you're like, I've got really big, huge dad issues. I can probably find somebody in this group too and I know of people I know of ladies, I know of men who have had those same type of issues, and yet through faith in Jesus, their life's been completely changed. He said, well, I've got drug issues. You'd be surprised in this church. There's people who have gone through some things. There's people who have gone through a lot of, and maybe you're like me. I had drug issues growing up, right? I was drugged to church. I was drugged to school. I was drugged everywhere, right? There's people like me who grew up in Leave it to Beaver Land and stuff like that. And That's the great thing about church. Learning, fellowship, past experiences. Where's your Naoth? Where's your place? See, the problem is too many people think church is this. Listen to this. A man visited a very formal, stuffy church one Sunday. Right in the middle of a service, a guy died of a heart attack. But the ushers carried out five guys before they found the right one. Thank you. Because the church was dead. Listen, honestly, you say, you know, church is dead. Church is pointless. All right. You got a lot of good opinions there. That's not too far from the truth. Because there's a lot of churches that, I mean, the pastor gives really funny stories, but he doesn't preach God's word. The pastor talks about political things, and they're, they're things you like. You're on that side. And he talks about political things, but he doesn't teach you about Jesus. You know, the, the pastor has these great points and they help your marriage and it's, it's kind of like Dr. Phil, right? Without the annoying southern draw. You need to get with the program, right? It, you know, it's like all this real therapy and stuff and you're like, oh, I'm learning how to be a better dad and there's 12 steps to getting over my addictions and stuff like that. But he's not teaching me about dependency on the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's a lot of churches that are dead and the, listen, the number one sign of a dead church is they don't teach this. Of everything you get today, it's God's word you need the most. But God intended church not to be a place of death, but a place of learning, fellowship, and past experiences. So where is your place in Naoth? Who have you put your faith in that's a flawed human being? The story goes this way. A little boy was standing on the edge of a downtown street. He had his backpack on and he obviously had just come from elementary school. A businessman came out of an office nearby and said, son, what are you doing standing in the middle of the street on the curb, right here in the middle of the block? You just seem out of place. The little boy said, I'm waiting for the bus. The businessman said, young, young boy, the bus doesn't stop here. The bus stops three blocks down. You'll have to walk down three blocks because that's where the bus stops. The little boy said, uh-uh. I have faith that the bus is going to stop right here. 
The businessman says, that's ridiculous. This big, huge bus is not going to stop just because you have faith. The little boy says, no, I have faith that the bus is going to stop right here. The businessman, I don't care how much faith you have. Buses don't just stop anywhere. There's specific places, and this bus is going to stop down there. After a few minutes of arguing, the businessman threw up his hands and said, oh, I'll forget him. And he starts to walk away. And as he begins to walk away, he hears the big screeching sounds of a bus brakes. He turns back and sees a 10-ton bus stop right there in the middle of the street, right on the curb, and open up its doors for the little boy. The little boy steps up on the first run, and he looks back at the businessman and says, Hey, mister, the bus driver's my dad. There are times when people will laugh at you, when people will try to discourage you, when people will tell you, no, no, don't, don't, don't. The bus driver of my life is God. The bus driver of this universe is my dad. I have complete faith and confidence that if I obey him, he'll take care of me. So today, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And if so, not trying to bring up pain, when are you going to start trusting a flawed person? When are you going to start trusting a church, trusting a pastor? You know what it is? It's called every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know Christ? I hope you do. I'd love to show you down here how you can accept Christ as your personal Savior. Let me throw out our invitation to you a couple points. If you're here and you're a dad, I want to challenge you. 